0: A big believer in the universe has its plan and I don't get too fixated or stuck on things that go wrong because I feel like for some reason that was meant to happen and then things that go right I, I, I would say the same thing like I don't get too fixated on things that go right so like I've had some great success which you mentioned earlier but again like I'm not sitting here like waving a flag saying oh I'm this this person I've done all this because I feel like you know that that's the ebbs and flows of like life and i'm and i'm never like predicting what's on my plate in the future and i'm i work really hard and i i have a very high moral compass and i do i'm i'm a very good person i just feel like the universe is just going to keep giving me what i give back and the more i, I keep striving and, and trying to be a great moral role model for people and things like that the more good i'm going to do in the world and, and i can be at least have a legacy, have something that that I feel I leave behind one day. Welcome
1: to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are your hosts, Jess and BJ, and we're super pumped to have former professional triathlete Leanda Cave with us today. Leanda is a multi-time world champion, coach, absolute legend in the sport of triathlon, and most recently an Ultraman athlete. Leanda placed second overall at Ultraman Canada, beating the first male overall by 11 minutes, which means, yes, the first two podium spots were claimed by women, which is so very, very cool. Leanda started competing in triathlon in 1993 at the age of 14, which eventually led her to become a junior elite in Australia. At the age of 21, she returned to her home country of Great Britain, where she pursued a professional career in multi-sport. In the early days of her professional career, she focused on an Olympic distance draft legal racing and in 2001 became the European under 23 Olympic distance champ. In 2002, she won a silver at the Commonwealth Games, a silver at the European Championships and her first world title in Cancun. Five years later, she moved into long-distance triathlon where she won her second world title at the ITU Long Distance World Championship and then in 2012 became the first woman in history to ever complete the double when she won both the Ironman 70.3 and full Ironman Distance World Championships just five weeks apart. She's one of the greatest athletes to ever compete in the sport of triathlon, and BJ and I have followed her career for a very long time. We're honored that she's sharing the mic with us today and can't wait to see what pours out from our conversation. Leanda, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me, guys. You have quite
1: the career, and um, I believe you announced your retirement or officially back in uh, 2017, but you have recently returned to the epic distance of Ultraman, so still in the triathlon world, uh, and we want to dive into that. But before we do, uh, are you still in Basalt, Colorado? We see you've been having some adventures there, and yeah, what are you doing there? What do you have going on there? So this is um,
0: this is kind of like a summer summer pad um, to get out of the heat of Miami, um, but also it's just like a really nice place to to train. It's got a very different vibe to Miami, so it's a little bit more relaxed. Um, and also, I. I honestly want to be living here about this time next year. Well, I would live here yesterday if everything um, was in my hands. But, you know, it's not just me. I have to think about it. It's, it's my other half too, Maiko. So we are we trying to establish uh, some, some coaching and um, client base here so we can kind of make that shift happen um, in a year or so. What is it about that area that you love? Ah. Uh, I don't know if there's anything that I don't love. (laughs) Everything is so amazing here. Um, We have the mountains. I mean, I'm literally looking out my window now at mountains and trees and um, space, and it's not congested with cars and people, and there's so many wonderful roads to ride a bike on. There's lakes to swim in. It's just easy living here, you know, Um, and it's just where I feel most at peace. I mean, I've traveled... A lot through my career. Um, I've pretty much been to every continent on the planet, and um, I just found this is like literally the most beautiful place on earth that I've been to. So I figured, why not live here?
2: Full time. <laughs> yeah, we're work still have, working um,
0: on that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> What's your uh, winter sport uh, or winter uh, passion? Is there something?
0: You know, I taught myself. I I was never a winter person for a start. Like with being a, a summer athlete, and I had contracts that really. Did not lend itself to doing any winter sports. Pretty much, my my contracts when I was racing as a pro, this is with sponsors, um, would have like in the fine print, you know, if you get injured doing like some sport like skiing, you know, your contract's void. So I didn't do anything like a, any winter sports for or even try to do a winter sport until I retired. And then I tried everything. I was, I tried snowboarding, which I can do not very well. Um, I taught myself to ski, which was right before COVID and then COVID hit. So then I was like, oh, now i got to figure something else out. So I went to skinning. Um, And so that's kind of like me. I just like try, I'd like to try new things and I'm not scared of like figuring it out if I can't find someone to teach me and um, I'm I'm a little out there that way and now like in this this summer I've been doing a little bit more mountain biking than um, I've done in the past I'm still terrible uh, but I, I love it I love trying and put, you know pushing myself into a, a place where I'm out of my comfort zone.
1: So there's that there's a little bit of this beginner's mindset even though you have, you know, your whole life you've really been an athlete competing in triathlon since the age of 14 and and from just the research that I've done uh you were active, you know, even before that. And so there's this you've got this beginner's mindset of like you always want to be learning and trying new things and um falling down and and getting back up. How does mountain biking like shift Mind, like what is the difference in your mindset? I should say for like road biking to to mountain biking. Is there like a shift that just comes naturally? That that is a kind
0: of a byproduct of that activity of mountain biking. You know, when I when I first started mountain biking, I thought I'd be really good because uh, on a, on a road bike. I mean, technically and skill wise, I'm like I'm not flawless, but I'm like I'm pretty. Good, I'm there, right? And so I, I thought, oh yeah, mountain biking should be like a natural progression. Um, even like just going, like going uphill where I have to push myself. I thought I'd be really good, and then. when when I'm actually out there, I'm terrible. Um, So I I thought it would actually, because I've got such an experience with road biking, I thought it would just be something that would come so easily, but it doesn't. And that's kind of why I like keep, that's why I'm pursuing it a lot. And I think that's the thing, like most people fear something they're not good at. Um, I kind of like lean into it and I really want to like be good at it. So it's the same with skiing and snowboarding. My God, the amount of times I fell was like, out there like I, I had crash pads I had like like I wore these shorts for, for like my ass so I <laughs> would get bruised because I was so bad but I, I I found this you know there's a there's something so rewarding about figuring something out and being able to do it and and it's not just like so that's sometimes like even, you know we talk and I'm sure we'll talk more about Ultraman but it's just that same mindset like doing something that's Push it, puts you out of your comfort zone that, that you're not good at or you don't know um, what, like, if you actually will ever achieve it or could even achieve it until you finally do. So I think that's for me with with mountain biking and, and a lot of these other sports. Um, I mean, I've done, it's not just mountain biking, snow, uh, skiing and snowboarding. I've done, like, Uh, wakeboarding and dirt biking and so I'm kind of like trying playing around with a lot of different things but it's so amazing when you figure it out and you get it and it's just yeah I like I like that um that journey you know that's the journey of like being completely green not 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 having a clue to like ultimately being pretty decent at something um so that's kind of where I'm at with the mountain biking right now. And I'm, I'm really, really bad. I'm I'm embarrassingly bad at it. Um but in in relation to how it how I road bike, there's it, it's two different sports, it really is.
2: Yeah, I love that you do, you you don't rely on, so what we tend to do as athletes is we'll say, well, I'm just going to go back to road biking because I'm so good at it, so I might as well be the champ of road biking because mountain biking is too hard. And I feel like there's, there's two things happening here. There's, there's fear and excitement at the same time, so you can be fearful of this mountain biking or you can be excited about the possibilities and opportunities that are waiting for you. Right. Do you fe- have there been times? Has there ever been anything where you've chosen the f- the fear route, or that I'm getting out of here?
0: Um, probably, but I can't remember it <laughs> because it's very infrequently that those sort of scenarios happen. Um, but I, yeah, with with mountain biking, you know, I have to really engage in in this um, process, whereas with with cycling, I don't anymore. And I think that's also what I like so I like there's there's a mental side that really kind of stimulates me. Um and I think yeah there are definitely like a lot of people who kind of seek the path of least resistance and uh, I'm kind of finding the path with the most obstacles in the way. And I think for me that's that's like anything I or well, pretty much everything I've done in life. I've never I've never just chosen something because it's easy. And um and that perseverance I guess is simply the difference between someone who like Purs, pursues and like gets pretty good in a sport or not just in a sport but anything in life versus maybe someone who kind of just chills out and says, okay, it's not for me. I'm just going to like go the easy route and do what I think I'm, I can do and not versus like something that they're uncomfortable with.
1: You know, I remember about 10 years ago when you were winning, when you were becoming world champ and you were, you won uh, Clearwater and you won Kona, uh, like a, I just remember this from years ago, that you there was this reputation about you that you were kind of chill, like you were kind of <laughs> chill, like your, your demeanor, whether whatever was going on behind the scenes, who knows, but that you were like enjoying yourself. That's how they pinned you, like you were enjoying yourself. You were, they showed like clips of you laughing, like you know, you're not supposed to laugh before you do Kona or something like that. But, 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 but why I'm bringing that up is because. I mean, I'm sure you know N- Nicole and, and Tim DeBoom. Um, and I remember when we first interviewed Nicole years back, she was talking about when Tim was going for the world championship. And it was such a singular focus. And it was just everything was about that. And did you experience the same? Like, did it have to be this super singular focus for you or was what they were saying about you, you kind of being a little bit more lighthearted and a little more chill? Was that true?
0: I think there's a mix. Um, mostly because I think this sport, as you know, I've been, oh, I had been doing it for a long time professionally. Um, so I would say, the um the young me the me that was doing the olympic distance when i was like you know early 20s was very uh singular focus very tunnel vision very disciplined um and you know no one would ever step in my way um and then as i started to become a little little bit more um seasoned as an athlete i began to realize like I got to have fun and I've got to be able to enjoy life along the way because I honestly felt like I, if I didn't, I would miss my youth. And I do notice that a lot in the athletes I train as well, the younger ones, I said, look, we got to have a day where you are aware that you're going to go out and have some fun and we want to I want to plan that in because you're young and you should be having fun at your age you shouldn't be just thinking about waking up the next day and getting out training at 6 a.m and going to bed at 8 a.m every night like this is you've got to have and enjoy life along the way or else before you know it it's just gone and you're like all your peers are like talking about all the good times they had in their 20s and you're sitting there going oh what did I do with with my, you know, my life when I was young, <laughs> so, um, so I feel like it's really important. And also, yeah, when as I got older too, I, I found like I needed to have something else. I needed to have a, um, I wouldn't call it a release, but I needed to have something that diverted my focus away from the sport, not kept it so much ingrained in the sport. Mostly because. Um, it is so consuming having to eat, sleep and breathe one thing and this became my job. And when it became so to the point where I was feeling like it was something that was too, too focused on one thing, I felt like there was just an offset of balance and so when I started to like enjoy other things and like go out a little bit more and socialize and, and be a little bit more, um, I want to say fun, um, I also started enjoying the sport more because I kind of found like, you know, I could go back to something with and, and reset rather than just be so, um, so obsessed with it that it became like more of a chore than a job. Mm.
1: Did you see that in in other people, like just that really strict focus, that maybe even like a rigidity, and did that help to remind you to keep it a little bit lighter in different parts yeah. of your life?
0: Yeah, I, I did, and I still see it a lot, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just think that for me, I was I, this was a career. It wasn't just something I was going to do for a few years and then stop. I wanted to make a living out of it and a career out of it, and I'm still, even though I'm not f- professionally racing, I'm still doing the sport a lot and I'm coaching, so I'm still involved. It's still in one way or another. It's morphed into a different side of the sport, but um, but having longevity was something that was really important to me. So I think people get burnt out physically, but I think also there's a mental side that gets burnt out, and for me, that's that's when I really recognise like, hey, I got to like start enjoying life a little bit too because. Um, otherwise this, this thing's just, it's not worth it. Right. It's got to, you've got to have that balance. Yeah, absolutely.
2: And this longevity, I mean, you've already retired, but yet you're still, you know, you're still having fun. Was Ultraman, We want to jump there now, but was Ultraman fun? Like, can you look, can you look at it (laughs) despite all the suffering?
0: (laughs) You know, it was like a physical mental journey. It really was. And I think yes I had a lot of fun I think mostly that was because of my amazing crew I had Jenny Fletcher Graham Fraser and his wife Sue helping me out as crew and um and that was all mostly by chance but we all got on and we had so much fun and it was a really really good time and we were all pretty chill going into that and you know we turn up to the briefing before the race and all the other athletes have these booklets of like all instructions and all their notes and I'm like oh my gosh I don't even know the course yet so this is kind of like my my mindset going in I was I was very, uh, I mean, I did that with a lot of racing through my career. You know, I'd race so often. At the end of the day, I I focused on what was important and and actually knowing the actual route and whether there's a hill coming up or not. It wasn't like what I needed to know. For me, it was more about getting out there, racing and and performing and and working with what I've been training for and not so much like focusing on, oh, there's a hill coming up in 20 miles. I'm going to have to like change to this gear and be at this watts and this height. Like that's just to me, it was like, that, that's too much. That's For me, I want to be really like just present and wherever I am is in the race is wherever I am. But um, what I can tell you about the Ultraman is um, there was a the fun side but there was a mental side that I was not prepared for. And I tell you, being out there for that long, for three days in a row, was like something else. Um, I Everything felt so long. I was in the middle of the swim going, oh, my gosh, Jenny, I can't believe... I've only done four miles like I still can't see the finishes so far and then the bike the second day bike wasn't so bad but the third, the this um the one hundred and seventy mile ride it just never seemed to end it was just crazy and the fifty two mile run was like it was, you know, you normally tick off miles or time like like in minutes. I was like ticking off time in hours and blocking the miles in six-mile um, sections rather than like every mile because I had to figure out a way, and I kind of did this on the fly, but I had to figure out a way to kind of break it down into chunks so it was manageable to get my head around it because I'd never run this far in my life. And the longest training run I'd done for this race was only 16 miles, so I really was wasn't prepared most probably mentally mostly but probably not physically either
1: (laughs) where did it take you mentally like where where did you go and you were like whoa whoa like I can't believe I'm here
0: Um, A lot of the times, and this has happened throughout my career, if I start suffering and hurting, I start looking around and absorbing things around me and that often turns into like the nature and I'll I'll see things and and just like absorbing like the environment around me. So as opposed to like just being so focused on the pain and the suffering I'll be like oh look at that lake oh this is a beautiful tree Uh, you know just weird stuff like that and and I think being this race being in Penticton really lent itself for that so that was actually a good place to start for for an Ultraman for me was because it's so beautiful and it gave me a lot of like mental distractions when I really needed those
1: Mm -hmm. and we've had Ultraman on the podcast before but I just want to refresh everyone's uh, memory. So it's, you did Ultraman Canada and day, well, why don't you tell us tell the audience what, what the three days consist of?
0: So day one is a six mile or 6.2 mile swim followed by a 90 mile bike ride. Uh, day two is a 170 mile bike ride. And then day three is a 52 mile run. And when did you decide that this was a good idea? <laughs> so, so this kind of goes back to January last year when my fiancé, Michael, Michael, is like, hey, you know it would be really good if you went for a fifth world title? And I was like, oh, shit, it really would. <laughs> sorry, I don't know if I can swear on here. You can say like, whatever you want. <laughs> I was like, because, you know, and then, now he's planted this seed. I'm like, oh, darn it. I'm going to have to give it a go. And so this is like January 2021 and then two or three months later as I'm training and I'm getting pretty fit, I got hit by a car door and I ended up falling and landing quite heavily on my hip and I fractured my hip. And I thought I'd be able to come back after that, but it turned one little bit of one broken bone turned into a whole lot of other injuries and I couldn't come back and I kind of just – I actually wasn't thinking then I'd ever give this a shot again and then come the, like almost a whole year later, like January 2022, I get an email from the race organizers in Canada. They're like, hey, are you still interested in doing Ultraman Canada? I'm like, huh, maybe I should. And then I started, you know, I, I, I train a lot of clients privately and I'm, now I'm up to like 20, 25 hours a week of training with my clients. And I was like, you know what? I'm in pretty good shape. I probably should give this a go. So I said, sure, let's, I'll, I'll do it. And then, um, you know, that kind of whole, that whole thing started to progress and um, the closer it came to the time of the race, the more, I wouldn't say confident, but I would say I was, the more pleased I was with the form I was in, I was like, oh, I'm not as, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape, right? Um, just not running because I hadn't, I'd had like a little injury, so I wasn't running a whole lot. Um, and, yeah, the race went really well considering where I was, I thought, you know, in terms of my training. Not, not spec- I didn't do any specific training, but I, I, I trained a lot, just mostly with my clients. Um, and so the race did go. It went really well in terms of, yeah, being able to finish second, which was, you know, um, great behind another female as well, which was also great. Um, I, I felt, other than like the aches and pains, pretty good the whole way physically um and you know after that sort of a race there's always like the the body's not really feeling amazing and and then there was that question that was raised it's like oh are you going to do the world champs and then that goes back to that goal you know 2021 like trying to shoot for a fifth world title But I just needed a a week to marinate in just what I did before I kind of said, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Um, Just in case something, like, came up where I was like, oh, you know, and I was a lot of, like, distance racing. I've had, like, times where I'm, you know, I'm not recovered physically. I'm okay, but my heart doesn't seem quite recovered. So I wanted to just, like give it a minute before i dive into an, another stupid decision um, and so i about like uh i guess 10 days after which was literally last weekend uh i said all right i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do the the world champs i'm gonna shoot for this world title this, this world title um so that happened i entered um And I also decided that, um, sorry, I'm talking a lot. Um, But I also decided that... (laughs) You're the guest.
1: You're the guest. People do not, they don't don't want to hear us. us. They're also (laughs) They want to hear you. So we
0: love this. Keep going. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm really excited about this. So I I do like talking about it. I talk a lot about things I'm I'm passionate about. But I, I did decide, like, I'm not racing professionally anymore. So I'm not doing it for a living. So I really felt like Doing this was kind of very selfish and self-serving, so I wanted to be. I wanted to take a different angle and and have a bigger cause behind it. So I have decided to do it for charity, um, and I am I am raising money for the Sylvester Cancer Research Institute in Miami. Um, so you can find like this whole thing on GoFundMe, um, and and so that's kind of given me like a little bit of added incentive because now I'm I feel like. I got to win it now for something bigger than myself, which I feel is really, I don't know, that this is very different. This is something I haven't done before, but it feels a lot different than it used to feel when I just used to race for myself, you know, prize money and, and sponsorships and all that. So I'm, I'm really enjoying this kind of different angle right now. Do you ever feel like in life that like everything was just kind
1: of preparing you for the next thing? Like like becoming a professional triathlete, becoming world champion, like, oh, well, that's it. That's it. But maybe it wasn't it. Like maybe it was all preparing you for this and maybe this is preparing you for the next thing.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm a big believer, um, in the universe has its plan and, um, and I don't get too fixated or stuck on things that go wrong because I feel like for some reason that was meant to happen and then things that go right I, I I would say the same thing like I don't get too fixated on things that go right so like I've had some great success which you mentioned earlier but again like I'm not sitting here like waving a flag saying oh I'm this this person I've done all this because I feel like you know that that's the ebbs and flows of like life and I'm and I'm Never like predicting what's on my plate in the future, and I'm I work really hard, and I, um, and I'm, I'm I feel like I'm a, I have a very high moral compass, and I do I'm I'm a very good person. I just feel like the universe is just going to keep giving me what I give back, and um, and the more I I keep striving and and trying to be a great moral role model for people and things like that, the more good I'm going to do in the world, and um, and I can be at least have a legacy, have something that, um, that I feel I leave behind one day.
2: As a coach too, I, I love this. I want to pull on this a little bit, but as a coach, how, how do you, cause athlete, they don't, they don't attain that the level that you have immediately. So, so there's the resistance of injury or a bad race and they get really wrapped up in, in all the things that have to do with that. How are you, how do you work with athletes? Um, to kind of move through that a little bit quicker time and time again that it it comes up?
0: I kind of position it in a way like, you know, when you do a lot of things, there's always these fine prints that, you know, if you do this activity, you could be at risk of this. And I feel like if you you choose to be an athlete, professionally or amateur, um, it comes with a, a list of things that could go wrong. And injury is one of those things, right? So I kind of explain it to athletes like, these things happen, like injury is part of the, the what I call the job description, and we have to take that as well as like all the great days that our body gives us when we're not injured. And I also think it's an opportunity when you get injured to identify something that's going wrong with your body that's not quite... Um, as strong or is in line as it should be. So these are opportunities to be more focused on one thing rather than being out there bashing your body to bits without, you know, expecting it to break down at some point because you haven't focused on the little things. So, so I and, I, and also when people get sick and and they have um, a cold or a flu or whatever, like I think sometimes that's not just the cold or flu that is going around, but it's an important time where people say, okay. I'm being forced to rest. This isn't just like a cold that's going around. I need I have got a cold because my immune's down and I'm I'm really like needing to rest. So I, I tell them like this is this is forced rest. This is like something that you need to have. Um, what I don't like seeing is athletes going out and training when they, they have an illness or a virus. I think what's happening there is they're not allowing their body to fight off what what they they have, and then when they complain four weeks later that they still have symptoms of a cold or a flu or COVID, um, which most people have had these days, it's because they've started training too early and they've they've kind of impacted their body's natural ability to uh, fight the virus that they've had. So, so I kind of have a different um, perspective on like getting injured. I I myself I didn't get too down in the dumps about getting injured. It definitely affected me, but I felt like you know I've I've got to roll with this, there's another year of racing, there's more, there's, um, if I miss this race, I could still do it next year or, you know, whatever, I, I still have more races on the calendar, i just got to fix what's happening now and every time I got injured, I would come out stronger um, one way or another because of uh, working on something that, that needed to, to be fixed. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think with time comes wisdom, right? Like you, you go around the block enough, you're like, okay, I've been here before. Like I've been on this corner before. I, I, I know, but, but still, I mean, even you know, I've been doing this now for almost two decades. There's still sometimes there's like. Is this the one that's going to make me never run again? Um, and so you had mentioned you had a little something leading into Ultraman, and your longest run was 16 miles. Do do you get those little hints of yes. doubt, and what do you do with them?
0: Well, you know, like so, the injury I had was a shin issue, and um, and I had a laundry list of um, stress fractures when I was um, in my early 20s, in my teens and early 20s. Um, and this just felt similar to that. And it wasn't like I got worried. I just said, I'm not going to go down that road again and end up with another stress fracture. So I, I literally stopped running for three weeks, and then I started back with two weeks of just running 30, 30 minutes, and then I, when I felt confident, um, I actually started running longer again. But I also s- decided that, you know, I, I can't run. If I can't run, I'm going to cross-train, and I started doing like hikes up mountains, which were very beneficial, um, and just being having time on the legs, which wasn't running, but it was actually time where I was like, you know, putting load, especially on the downhills when you're when you're hiking down a mountain. There was load on the legs, which is very similar to that of running, especially long distance running. And I found that that would, that was the best solution um, to kind of get around this. But for me, I, I just, I just felt like there's 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 one choice you keep running through the pain and hope that by you know, like three weeks it's not that bad and and I could get through 52 miles or hold off and running through the pain and and have a 52 mile run that's um pretty decent even though I haven't been able to do the mileage to train for that distance
1: and how did the run go for you
0: it went really well. <laughs> I mean, it was slow. I mean, for me, slow. I mean, we're talking nine thirty average um, for fifty-two miles. Um, I didn't. I thought the whole run was going to be more of a run-walk, but I ended up running the whole way, minus a couple of bathroom breaks. Um, it was. It was actually super surprising. I didn't have a time in the run where my legs gave out. Um, my toenails had a different situation going on, which, you know, you kind of just expect that at some point, especially like anything close to or over a marathon distance. But yeah, my legs are really good the whole way. Um, I kept it to the, at the pace at a, where I felt like I could go all day um, without it costing me too much, like physically or um, energy wise. And that was just that 9.30 pace. So a lot of my, to put in perspective, um, again, for me, that that's not fast, but my training runs were typically around 7.30 to 8 minute pace. So I'm running significantly slower than I would in my training runs.
1: And how did your leg feel? How'd your shin feel?
0: Honestly, nothing. I haven't had any issue, which is so great. Um, and, and, And that was the thing too. Like I said, I've been injured a lot through my career and I think a lot of coaches don't understand how to train an athlete through injury. But through being injured so often I kind of figured that out as an athlete and now I have that you know knowledge which I and experience which I actually pass on to my athletes and I'm and I'm thankful that I've had that because injuries are like really tough especially like you said when you haven't been down that road a few times and you're just struggling mentally and also physically kind of getting through them. Like, what do you do? And and thankfully triathlon has three sports. So there's kind of always something, but, um, it is, it's a hard journey to process mentally if you haven't really got any experience with getting injured.
2: Mm. Yeah. And that mindset is the, I think is the piece. So the fact that it didn't, it didn't show up on, on race day, I think there's a component of that that is what we focus on expand. So if you're thinking about it constantly, then that's, it's probably going to show up. But when you start to not give it the attention or too much attention, right? You give it enough, but not too much attention. It seems to never show up when, when, when it matters on race day. So that, that mind piece, that, that development of trust in yourself. And I know you're, you're someone who at least in the past has raced without data and information. Like you love the feel. So you've got a very close relationship with your inner self. Like you, you know, you know, by now, um, has it always been that way? Has it always been this tr- this this trust, this feel that this is the right step to take? This feels good to me, and has has doubt ever creeped in?
0: yeah, look i I do like data, um, but i don't I'm not the athlete who was ever fixated on data. I was a much more intuitive athlete. I would take rest when I needed, and I knew I needed rest, and I would work hard, but it wasn't always that way. Um, I, especially going back to when I was that young athlete who was such, so tunnel vision and didn't really like listen and they, I, I was just doing everything that was on my training program and and I was very compliant that way. And um, that kind of bit me in the ass and was probably the reason I got so injured. And then once I started to be a little bit more uh, focused on like my body and how it feels and be a little bit more present that way, I was able to like like swing either way, do more or less just based on how I was responding to the current training. And I think that's, that's what a lot of athletes struggle with is they have this training plan in front of them and they don't really um, – kind of listen to themselves, they listen to or they read the training plan before they actually hear and know what's going on with their body. So there's a lot of tools now which help athletes be a little bit more conscious of how their body is, which, you know, you can measure your HRV, there's these tools like Whoop and um, HRV for training and things like that. But um, again, if you're very um, self-aware, you'll be able to – fill all these things out without having to rely on, on, um, devices for that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've talked, I, I experienced this, I experienced this myself and I've talked to a few other athletes that experience this too. Like they get this reading that, you know, says well, you didn't get good sleep and, you know, so this probably means you shouldn't feel good, but they're like, but I feel good. And now all of a sudden I don't feel that good. Um, because I'm looking at this piece of data, and you know that's that piece of data is important. It's so important. I like data too. I love it. I love to look at pieces. I love to look at um, you know the graph and training peaks and all that stuff and see where my fitness is. I love all that stuff. But all of that is still outside of me, and it's the relationship that I have to myself, um, and of course, something that's been cultivated over many years. Do you have like some kind of mindset or uh you know reflection exercises or practices that you encourage your athletes to do to just kind of turn in a little bit as opposed to always looking outside for those answers and what their possibilities may be?
0: Yeah, look, I I think you know we when you said about like, you know, I think you were referring to the aura ring when it's told you about your sleep and things like that, and that's putting more doubt in somebody than just listening to their body. And so for me, I, I ask athletes sometimes to train by feel and perceived effort and not worry about what their watch is telling them in terms of power or pace. And that's a little easier for them to kind of comprehend sometimes when they're not feeling a hundred percent or, I mean, no athlete in in reality feels a hundred percent every single day because you've got this overload of training in your body and you're always kind of training tired one way or another. Like during taper week should be the week where you start feeling good, but then you want to save that for a race. So you don't want to go and bust out your best effort um, FTP that week. But um, for the most part, like you should be like able to say, okay, this is what pace I should feel a 70.3 bike ride would be or well, this is the pace what I should feel like a 10K effort in an Olympic distance should be rather than just saying, I have to hit like seven-minute miles and I have to have my heart rate at 160 and all those things and then you're, you're looking at this data and you're like, oh, my God, I'm at 730, I'm going, I'm not at the right pace and, oh, my God, my heart rate's at 170, like all these things. That's when doubt sets in. So I try and like just give an athlete a little bit of a sense feel And help them to understand using your um, wearables is important. It's good to set benchmarks. It's good to train to power. It's good to train to heart rate and speed. But it's also really good to know what that feels like. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, feel. Feel is so important. It's so important. And somehow we got carried away, myself included, just like Jess mentioned. Um, But I find most often um, the self-awareness that you're talking about, like if you're self-aware, I think there's a lack of self-awareness. I think there's a lack of, of understanding who we are as, as athletes or what we stand for or or what, even why we're doing this, you know, what is our purpose in doing this? And so when we rely on the information, it's sort of like, okay, well, I've got that done. I've ticked that box. Okay. That's, that's over there. I I don't, I don't really need to feel anything. And I think, I believe firmly that feel is is super important um not only in training but when you get to racing because it is it is a celebration it's a it's a time to uh, as you like to put it it's a a dance floor right <laughs> so <laughs> get your best dance performance out there and and feel it all do you still um do you still look at race day like that did you look at Ultraman like like a dance floor
0: yeah I mean, again, it was weird because I have crew, and the crew are the ones dancing. <laughs> um, but it helped to kind of create this like um, freeness of racing. Like enjoyment of racing when you see other people like around you and and they they're helping you celebrate that race day. I mean, I have my crew there all the time, so they're like cheering me on and helping me celebrate that whole time. And that's that was really really special. But yeah, you know when I when I refer refer to um, to racing as being the day you get on the dance floor, it is like you know the training is often unseen, it's unheard. Um, I mean, we, a lot of people like to post their stuff on Instagram, and we have Strava these days, so it's not all that quiet. But again, it's it's those times when you're in your own head and you're mentally like pushing yourself through, like those those days where your body's tired and um, you're physically struggling or mentally struggling. It's time when you don't, you know, all those days you're not out spending with your fa- friends and family and, and all this sacrifice that you make, um, and and those are the moves that you've started to um, to you know, develop. And then on the day of the race, that's when you get to, like, show off all those moves, right, those moves that you've been practicing in your quiet time. And um, so that's why I call it your your dance floor. It's, like, the only day you really get to show it all off. And that's why I feel like um, a lot of athletes – should be a little less focused on the nerves that they get on race day but think more of, that, of that's like, hey, I'm out here like showing everybody what I did all, in all those hours they didn't see me after 6 p.m. or those mornings where I was training and nobody's out at all on the like, that's, that. Those are why I really feel like um, you know, it's, it's our opportunity to, um, like you said, celebrate and, and get on the dance floor.
1: Yeah. It's a celebration of fitness and um a time to shine. And we know with the body that, you know, fear or anxiousness or pre-race nerve the, the body doesn't know any difference between being excited. And you know, being fearful. So it's just a mindset shift if we can begin to train our mind and lean into this idea that like I'm here to celebrate. I'm here to celebrate all those 4 a.m. workouts. I'm here to celebrate all the times that I just wanted to watch a movie and I couldn't keep my eyes open. All those times that, you know, I was so tired, but I knew I had to get the nutrition in. So I made dinner to get out there and just enjoy. Enjoy. I think as a species we take life too seriously. There's so much heaviness in the world that if we as athletes can go out there and like you said, dance or shine or celebrate, uh, on the day, I mean, isn't that why we're doing this? Because we love it.
0: Yeah. I mean, you said earlier, like one of your first statements today before, well, you know, maybe when we were recording is like, you're always known as the athlete who's like kind of chill and laughing at the start line. That's literally me. Like I'm here, I'm, I've had, I know what I've all the hard work I've put in and all the sacrifice I've made to be here on the start line. I'm going to freaking enjoy it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, As a coach, um, What are, so we know like you're working with your athletes to, to also develop this self-awareness, this feel, because, you know, if the bike computer goes and the, the watch dies on race day, like you got to have feel, um, to get to the finish line and be able to race to your potential. But what are some other pieces of the puzzle that you're really passionate about as a coach passing on and guiding your athletes, uh, the disciplines of triathlon or running or, or sport in general?
0: Well, I think one of the biggest things which gets kind of washed away, especially with online coaching, and I'm guilty of it because I do online coaching, so it's sometimes really tough to to bridge this gap, but it's form and technique. And when you coach an athlete um, remotely, it's very hard to have eyes on them and correct something they're doing wrong with their form, whether it's swimming, biking or running. Um, and I think that's honestly sometimes one one of the big things that, Um, it's so easy to fix and it's like free time if you can fix their swimming just a bit and they can find an extra second per 100 or fix their running so they're not landing on their heel and it helps prevent them getting injured but also helps them flow more freely as they run and improves their economy and all these things and that kind of is a huge plus that they it's like so easy to, to do and yet so hard when you're coaching someone remotely and, you know, we have tools now, thankfully, that we can get some video footage and then put it through some software and we can come back and analyse it and, and help athletes understand what they look like and how to, you know, be better and, and um, correct um, certain things in their, in their form. So, that's one of the big things I, I, I really, really think helps a lot and, um, and I have – pretty much every day I'm here in, um, in Aspen working with athletes to, to really get their form right. And while I'm here and I can see them physically and then, you know, when I'm with an athlete back in Miami, same thing. It's, there's so much that can be, um, fixed like with their form to help them go faster yet. I, it's not always easy to do. So that was one of the big things. Um, I'm also a big believer in in um, having the right nutrition around training timing of nutrition the amount of the right amount of calories a lot of athletes try to for some reason use training as a uh, way to lose weight when it should be the focus on maintaining um, a good amount of calories so that they have the energy to train as a you know strong um, athlete and do a strong training workout rather than you know, something that's like mediocre because they haven't feel correctly. So, so there's that component as well. And I think also, you know, the last thing I really need to add to this is just strength. Um, and it's not strength where you're pumping in the gym and you, you're, you know, trying to get big and bulky. It's like all these little things with um, strength that help um, maintain a holistic body and, and strong body without Bulking up and those little muscles that help stability um, and help mobility. Those are the things I really, really like to focus on.
2: Well, I think strength is, is one of the first to go. Um, when you talked about volume, like that, the first, the easy way to get yourself there is to mask the stuff that needs to happen by just doing volume, by just throwing a massive volume at it. But then all this other stuff happens. And I think strength, I think strength is one of the first, or if the, for the first thing to go, um, because it doesn't take a lot of time and you don't see the improvement. You don't see it like immediately, like you would, if you go out for a run and you see your pace and you get immediate feedback. So yeah, I think that's a, I think that's an important piece of, of coaching that, that strength component, what type of strength do you incorporate mobility? Do you do any yoga? Do you, like what? Are there, are there different forms?
0: Yeah, I, I, I really like you know because most of the triathletes are all unilateral. You know, we use one side of the body, then we work. You know, so it's like running one leg on the left, left, right. So it's the same with cycling, same with swimming. So a lot of the work I do is um, unilateral body weight, as opposed to using um, machines, stability, um, being able to like do activities and and exercises where you're just focusing on um, on, and isolating your glutes while you're doing a um, a mobility workout at the same time, those sorts of things. And it's just kind of more functional strength, um, which honestly that is like helping you move much more efficiently because you're switching on these muscles which you have. Like a lot of triathletes, for example, have great Glute muscles and, and core, but they're not switching on when they need to be switched on. So, making sure that there's a combination of those mobility exercises while isolating a strength component to that muscle group that ha- is actually activating.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't take, it's, I mean, you mentioned this, BJ, like it doesn't take long. Um, and like everything, once you do it a few times, like it just becomes a part of regimen. So I'm always 15 to 30 minutes before I go out for a run. I'm on the mat doing some mobility, a little bit of, I'll do a little bit of yoga and, um, and then doing some of that same, that unilateral strength, isolating muscles. Because if you think about it, when you're running, you're never on two feet. It's always a one, it's a one-legged activity. So Yeah. And there's for so long, I'm sure other athletes can relate to this. I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one, but like for so long, I felt like I was just running with my right leg and my left leg was just kind of like ceramic (laughs) hollow. Um, and it's so awkward and weird to try and get strength back in there and to, to undo a pattern that you've created. But you know, that same will that gets us to the finish line. It's, we got to use that same free will to say, okay, I'm going to take 15 minutes, 10 minutes just to do a little bit to light up the areas that need to be lit up so that I can go out and get this run, um, get this run done in a way that is going to, you know, benefit me even if it's five or 10 minutes shorter because I've taken that five or 10 minutes to do the exercises.
0: Yeah. And that's all it is. Like people think when you say strength, they're going to be like in the gym for an hour and you know it's it's not it's like short and honestly this goes back to what i was saying there's yeah i was i was a little injured which i kind of took a step back with my the, my running volume for that reason but hey i put in some strength in there which you know i by mileage standards if someone's training for a 52 mile run they'll be like oh i have to run like 30 mile runs at least once a week but You don't. You can find the right sort of combination of exercises, strength, and also maybe some cross-training to get you there without having to pound your body to the point where it is on the limit and it is verging on injury.
1: Yeah, I think... um... I think you've touched upon something so important there, you know, fitness that obviously nothing's going to replace that impact of running, but fitness we can get from the bike hiking. Like you said, getting on the mountain, hiking, downhill, hiking, um, getting that, the load on the legs is, is so important that I think this day and age that we've, you know, expanded our mindsets as endurance athlete community grows, that there's other ways to come at things. It's not just, you know, You have to do, yeah, like a 30 mile run once a week for X amount of weeks to be successful. And a lot of that is your belief that you can be successful in ways that are, you know, more innovative or just more expanded thinking and working with what you can do as opposed to focusing on what you can't do and what you're not doing.
0: Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And honestly, like, part of me, was kind of grateful for that this experience because of that because like my confidence about a 52-mile run wasn't quite there because of the limited mileage I'd done running. But I think on the flip side of that, I knew I could run at 9.30 pace all day. So I had that confidence at the back of my mind and just knowing what I'd done and going into this, like just doing some of these alternative exercises made me feel like yeah, I'm I'm going to finish this 52 mile run. Well, I didn't think I was going to run at all. I thought it was going to be a run walk, but I, I never felt like I was never going to finish.
1: Yeah. Um, so leading into um, now the Ultraman World Championship in November, this is so cool because a couple of podcasts I heard you on recently, you weren't fully decided yet. So um, this is exciting news. I'm really, really happy for you um do you feel that competitive spark shining a little bit brighter right now is that is it feeling good or is there or is there a part of you that's like oh my god what am I getting myself into or maybe a little bit of both
0: there's definitely both I mean now I'm now I know what I'm in for that kind of like um scares me a little bit (laughs) it makes me a little bit nervous but because I've also done it I'm kind of not as like I'm more like confident that okay, I've got this. And the competitor in me, sure, I'm. It's in my DNA. I can't. I can't get rid of that. I'm. I'm a competitor through and through. And I, I, I try to go easy on training rides, or I try to go easy when I'm doing, you know, workout with my my fiancees. But it's sometimes just like this little competitor in me like comes out, and and I have to like you know dig away, and out comes that. Feisty little uh, Leander again, but yeah. For the most part, I, I I try and keep like a a low a laid back approach to um, to the to the training, and and I don't want it to be I don't want to bury myself in it, and I want to be like over consumed by um, this endeavor. However, I am taking it pretty seriously, and I am definitely like training a lot more and more specifically than I did for the the one in Canada. Ha.
2: And how about the support crew? Are they coming back?
0: They are. Uh, they'd already signed up before it even entered. They were like, we're, we're going to Hawaii. So you better like into the race.
1: Yeah, of course. They were like, we're going to Hawaii. Like,
0: you have to do
1: this. So we've yeah. had some rumblings on our team, uh, Team Yogi Triathlete, about people who have, um, you know, have Ultraman in their vision for the future. Uh, any advice for these people as they be, as they continue to water this seed of a new dream for themselves?
0: Yeah, look, Ultraman racing is like, I feel the new frontier of long distance triathlon. I, and at one point that was Ironman. Both distances have been around for a very long time, but I think um, Ultraman is still very, um, very new in terms of what um, people see as a long distance triathlon. And I'm and for that reason, I think there's not a lot of information out there. There's not a lot of um, people talking about it. So hopefully, I can help bring some um, light to that topic. And for a newbie, I mean, I, I met some I met some great people at this race um, in Canada. Um, and it's funny there there are a lot of first timers, including Amy, who won the race and. What's so interesting about them is they've all had some, um, they've all dabbled with something ultra in their past. So I guess it, it, my ultra would be like Ironman, but theirs might be like ultra swimming or ultra biking or some, or an ultra run. So I think it's good to have some, um, some experience in some, some long distance event, whether it's um, a single event or like an Ironman event, just so you get a taste for what. Being out there for that long of a time is, and air um, for me was not as difficult a mental approach as it was this time around because it was being out there for like eight to nine hours, three days in a row, but it just helped being... In that boat at least once, just to understand what that is like, and I think that's that's a common thread I found amongst a lot of these athletes racing in Canada. So, if I guess, in terms of advice, I would say that would be one of them. And then second, I think is um, it's a it's a it's three long days, and you burn through calories. And what I found, the more I was eating, and the more often I was eating the more energy I had, not just physically, but mentally. So I would try and, and really focus on like a nutrition plan that would be a little bit more on the higher end of the calorie count than, uh, than the low end, which typically most athletes kind of lean towards.
1: Yeah. what uh, Do you know how many calories you ended up taking an average, like on average, I'm sure it fluctuated from hour to hour, but on average for, per hour throughout the weekend?
0: Oh, for per hour, I would say I was up around three to four hundred calories, and you know maybe close to like, one hundred and twenty to one hundred and forty grams of carbs every hour. So that's a lot, mm-hmm. um, and that was that. You know, even through the run, um, most athletes struggle with eating through the run, and I was every single mile. I was it was either Coke, Gatorade. Um, or it was, um, and I should say not, or, and it was something, maybe a banana a gel, some, a cliff bar, um, uh, I ended up eating salami sticks, which I would never have done <laughs> until this, but I was like, I need something salty, um, and even potato chips. So I was like going through all sorts of different, um, <laughs> types of calories, um, through this. And I think that was really, um, What kind of helped me stabilize my, my energy levels and keep also pushing through like the 52 mile run. Yeah.
1: For Ironman, like for an Ironman event, right. Let's say like a 12 hour, 12 hour athlete. Okay. So give or take a couple hours, would you recommend like around that 300 per hour? Like just generally speaking, obviously we know that everybody is a unique being.
0: I would say it depends on, I think, training, what you manage to consume in training has a huge impact on what you can do in a race and mm. also the intensity of, uh, of your race. So I was racing at a much lower intensity in the Ultraman than I would have raced in Ironman. So in Ironman, my, my calorie consumption used to be around 2 to 250 um, because honestly, I couldn't really like take in more than that. My gut just would not process that with the, um, with the amount of um, uh, effort I was putting in. So with a lower effort, lower intensity, like your body can actually start, you know, the blood doesn't just go away from your stomach. It's still there and it can kind of uh, metabolize and, and digest a lot better um, some of those calories. So, I was able to definitely consume more based on the lower intensity uh, so for an iron man again, it depends where you're at but um I would say I think again male female is differences as well. I would say a woman is typically a little lower, fifty calories lower than a man, but I think a woman could manage between two fifty. To 300 for a 12 hour um, Ironman, and a man could probably manage um, close to 350 to 375.
1: Yeah, I think that's, mm-hmm. yeah. And, and you touched on something so important, which is like, you have to do it in training. You have yeah. to do this in training.
0: Yeah, and it also helps just build up like your ability to, um, to like process um glycogen and and increases your glycogen stores so and and the amount of blood glycogen you have in your system so the more you do it in training the the higher that level of blood glycogen is which is the available um energy that's in your blood and the higher you can have that in training the more used to that you're going to be in racing and that's what's really important because if you don't practice that in training low blood glycogen is um is just a risk of like many things but um as we we commonly know bonking being one of them
2: yeah and think about the mental aspect the mind needs calories so you start to drift and wander and then if you're on the bike it's actually really unsafe um when your mind starts to wander so i think the the mindset piece did you one last question about that is did you have any any moments of darkness on that run it doesn't sound like you did because you were fueling but did you have any like oh boy
0: well, yes, because there was one—the <laughs> the course in Canada, the run course—it's it's uphill for about 22 miles, and um, and I, I, my legs were hurting because of the uphill, but I, I wasn't really like sure if that this was it. The wheels were coming off, right? So, at, at about I think 24 miles in. I was like, I'm, I'm just going to stop for a quick second and stretch my quads just because I feel like they need to like loosen off a little bit. And, and honestly, at that point, I, I was again, am I, is this it? Is this the moment, you know, I, my, my legs give out or am I still able to go? And I remember saying to one of my crew members, I, my, I think, I think my legs are, are done here. Um, had the, had this quick stretch and then I was off on the road again and I was like, oh, no, it's, it, we're good. we just, we're just going uphill for 22 miles. That's all that was, you know? So, um, and then, and then calorie wise, No, I mean, again, I had so much. I mean, um, my crew were great, like, giving me everything under the sun and and it was just like a a rolling buffet of food every mile. Um, But I do think, like you said, um, the mental aspect is huge and calories do fuel the brain, not only the muscles. Um, I also utilize caffeine, which, you know, some people – choose not to, but for me, I think caffeine has been, um, been a very helpful tool to keep that mind um, alert and motivated, um, especially when you're like in Man coming off the bike and you kind of run a marathon. I mean, the thing in your head, these alarm bells are going off, off in your head saying, oh my gosh, how am I going to do a marathon now? I'm, I'm, My legs are toast, but they, you know, Pop a bit of caffeine and you're like, oh yeah, I've got a marathon in me. So it's just like <laughs> <laughs> shifting the mental side like helps a lot. And I found that I got that from caffeine.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm a caffeine I'm mm-hmm. a caffeine user as well. Guilty. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to work really well. Coke on the run is, is wonderful, wonderful magic. Um, so we, um, we're going to wrap this up and I just want to let people know that there's been a lot of podcasts that Leanda has done that really talks about her backstory and talks about these world champion, uh, titles and things like that. And I'm going to put some links to that in the show notes. Um, but I'm really- happy with where our conversation went today. I think we touched on some really good things and thank you so much for sharing so generously with us uh, today. And we're excited to follow your journey into the Ultraman World Championship in November. So we will be watching and rooting you on along the way for sure.
0: Great, I can't wait. Thanks so much, Jesse. and (laughs) Take care, Leanda, thank you. Thanks.